name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today we are reading the readings of the fourth Sunday of the first month of the year. So usually the first month's readings are all concerned about um, the harvest, because this is what was going on in Egypt. So the beginning of the new year coincided with the flooding of the Nile um, and the harvest. The whole church calendar focuses around these seasons. This week, most of the readings actually have been about women, um, and I think it's because it coincides with the Feast of St. Mary. So the 21st of every month is when we commemorate St. Mary, which was, which was yesterday. So we read about Lydia, the seller of purple, um, in the book of Acts last night. We read about the raising of Jairus' daughter, um, and right now we're reading this gospel, which is one of the gospels of the midnight hour of the Agveya. And it's, it's a rich one. We actually discussed this when we had a sermon about it at Ashaya a few weeks ago, so I won't repeat that sermon for those that were there. Um, but I want us to look at it in a, in a different way today. And the question is, do you know who you are? Okay. So last week we had Zacchaeus who invited Christ to his home, and we talked about how he wanted to know who Christ was. Right? He had a very good awareness of who he was, but he wanted to know who, who Christ was. But this week, we have a Pharisee who invited him to his home to eat. And this was a big gesture. Whether it was to test him or not, it seems like it was. We can't say for certain. Um, but definitely, our Lord wasn't very popular among the Pharisees. And the reason why he was not is because he contradicted a lot of what they said. So I don't know if you know where Pharisees came from. The Pharisees were an important group of people. Um, and as you read the Old Testament, you won't find a mention of them even once that I'm aware of. And the reason why is because they arose up as a group after the Jews were taken captive in Babylon. So when the Jews lost their home and their nation and they lost what they perceived to be their, their blessings, the blessings of God, they were taken captivity into Babylon. And this was because the Lord said, if you don't keep the covenant, then I won't bless you and I won't fight your wars. So when they finally got to go back, they said, okay, well, we lost um, our blessings. We had this punishment fall upon us because we didn't keep the commandments. So what we need to do is make sure we keep the commandments. So they formed as a group of people to basically learn the law inside out, right? To inform the people to say, this is why we got in trouble. Everyone needs to learn this. So actually the intention of the Pharisees was very good. It wasn't a bad thing. It was saying, we need to never make this mistake again. The problem is that, of course, they forgot the point of the law, right? They forgot why the law was given to them, that the law wasn't the goal, right? God was the goal. And because they forgot that, when Christ came to correct, to steer them towards the goal, they didn't react very well. They reacted very violently. And they said, like, what is this new doctrine that you're giving to us? We told the people, you can't do this on the Sabbath, and here you are doing these miracles, for example, on the Sabbath. And that's why Christ would say, well, what is the point of it? You would save your animal on the Sabbath. Would you, would you be, why are you upset that I'm saving a human? He's trying, again, to steer them back to the point. So when a Pharisee invites Christ, it was a big deal, because they really, really, actually, for the most part, despised him. There were some who didn't, but they were mostly not going to be kind to him in public. 
And so we see this scene where the Pharisee has him, things are going well, until this sinner woman comes in to wash the feet um, of Christ. And right away the Pharisee judges him and says, oh, so clearly he's not a prophet, okay? So he was trying to figure out whether he was or he wasn't. Clearly he's not, because if he was, he should have known what, of what and what manner is this woman um, who comes before him, who's a sinner that he's allowing to touch his feet. And so our Lord goes into this parable that we just read and says a certain man has two debtors. And this is why I'm asking, do you know who you are? Because the Pharisee and most of us read this parable thinking about how the lady that was forgiven, she had a bigger debt and that's why she loved Christ more, which is, which is true. But there's an important fact in the fact that our Christ said there are two debtors, right? Is that the Pharisee was also a debtor. So he didn't see himself as much in debt as the woman, but he was in debt. And we sometimes forget that part when we're reading this story. And that's why the question is, do you know who you are? Do you see yourself as a debtor? Or do you see yourself as the one who is complete? as the one who knows everything already? Do you interact with people as though you are the one who is in command, that you know everything? Whether it's doctrinally, professionally, parenting-wise, servant-wise, student-wise, whatever it is, whatever walk of life you are in, do you approach things as the one who is complete, who doesn't owe anything to anyone? Because if you see yourself as, I owe nothing to anyone, I'm, I am my own standard, then there's a real question of how then do you approach Christ if you don't need Him? Because those of us who tend to have a feeling of self-completion don't ever feel the need for someone else. And the truth is, we are indebted. And the truth is, we didn't make ourselves. And that might seem unrelated, but it penetrates every part of, of our being. The Lord, when He made us, made us in His image and in His likeness. Right? This means that He gave us His attributes. He gave us the ability to be like Him. He allowed us His own personality, His own DNA, if you will. Right? When a parent has a kid, the kid resembles the parent. We can even predict sometimes their behavior because of who they came from. And so our Lord gifted us His characteristics. He gifted us the ability to be rational beings. This is what St. Athanasius talks about at length in On the Incarnation. And he allowed us to be able to think like him, act like him, to create like him, to have love, to have compassion, to have mercy, to have judge, justice. All of these characteristics that we have are his. And he created us to resemble him. When we sin, what we're doing is we're ruining something within us. That's our spirit. Okay, the spirit that's in his image and likeness. And this is going to all relate in the end. I'm not being random. Okay, that this is all an important thing for us to get to, to understand why the woman reacted as she did. And so if you can think almost of how, of, of a car, right, is that a car is designed, it's made out of materials, right? And the car is designed to function in a certain way. And I can use that car properly, um, and I can use it improperly. If I take a pen and I put it into the auxiliary cable, right, I'm going to ruin the car and I'm going to ruin the pen. If I put cheap gas in a premium car, the car will run, but I'm also doing damage. If I put water in it, it's going to explode. 
right? There are different things that I can do to this carbon. I need to understand what it's made out of. I need to know what is its purpose. And I, want, I need to know how it was designed. And so if I don't understand all of that, I can be functioning improperly um, and not know it. And so all of us are debtors in, all the, in the sense that we're all sinners and we're all doing damage to this thing. That thing is our spirit. Okay, that is what sin does. That damage you're talking to the car, that's what we do to our spirit when we sin. Sin is not about a, a legal list of, of do's and don'ts of God. They are only in the sense of doing these or not doing these things are things that damage you, but it's not because of a list of random things that God said he doesn't like. It's things that goes against the proper functioning of a thing because we are in the image and likeness of God. So do I recognize that those are the things that I do? Or do I think that, no, my vehicle is actually perfect? Even when I'm damaging it, that I present this vehicle in spite of it being a damaged vehicle, instead of it being, in spite of it being a rusted vehicle, I'm presenting it to the world as, no, this is the perfect vehicle. That poor lady over there, hers is an awful one. Right? That's, that's what this man is saying. He's saying, I'm functioning properly. My car is in order. That lady over there, she's really messed up. And if this was a real mechanic, then he would recognize that that car is falling apart. Thank goodness, thank God, my car is perfect. This is the mentality that he had. And this is the mentality that most of us have. We tend to treat ourselves as the perfect standard. We say, if these people were more illumined, they would behave more like me. Instead of looking at it being more like God, we want them to be more like us. When we have a conflict, we think, oh, that person is in error because if they only had treated me like this, it would have been better. If they had only understood this about me, they would have been wiser. Right? We become, we become God. And this is the standard of society today. We want everyone to get us. Right? We don't want to get anybody else. We just want everyone to understand us. So first of all, do you know who you are? Do you know that you're a debtor? Do you know that your car actually malfunctions? Maybe it malfunctions less than someone else. Good for you, but it's still malfunctioning. Okay, And you need to be aware of this. Because then the next question is, what measure of love do you have? Right? Because what our Lord said about this woman is that because of how great her measure of love was, this is why she could love much and why she was forgiven much. And the amount of love depends actually on how you view yourself. If you are more filled with you, okay, then there's not going to be room for you to love. Because love by definition is self-denial, right? That's why God said perfect love is that you deny yourself for another person for, to the point of death. So that's the highest level of love, is that I deny myself to the, the point where I'm willing to even physically die for somebody else. And then the measure of love underneath it is just how much am I willing to deny myself for others. So if I'm full of myself, okay, if my standard is myself, and all I can think about is myself, I can't love. Because all I can think of is me. I want actually everybody to deny themselves for me. I want that person to change their schedule and accommodate me. I want that person to change how he or she speaks to accommodate me. I want my kids to realize that it's all about me. I want my parents to realize it's all about me. All of these are how we fail in love. All of them are how we are looking for ourselves, even within spouses. Every single conflict that you can think of, we've said this before, for sure will come down to a conflict of will. It will always be one person 
conflicting with another person over their own wills. I want this and the other person wants another thing. That's what it is. But if my objective is to satisfy or gratify myself, I won't be able to give because I'll always want to have more for myself. If I'm focused on others, however, I can give more. And if I give more, I'll be able to receive from God more. Why? Because I'm emptying myself, right? If, if I'm full of me, there's no room for anything else to go in, right? Because all that's in there is myself, my thoughts, my needs, my wants, my desires, my opinions, right? When I empty those out and instead my focus on how do I serve my neighbor, how do I love my neighbor, I can receive more. In fact, I'll see myself as being able to receive charity, right? I'll be able to receive from others because I don't see myself even above receiving from someone else. Most of us are very averse to receiving help from other people, not just financially, but even, even emotionally. Where it's like, no, I don't want them to see that I'm weak, right? They shouldn't know that I'm, I'm sad. Like, then they're going to trample all over me after, right? Man up. Right? We, we tell people to do this stuff all the time. Don't show yourself as weak in front of others. But that isn't love. Right? Love is that I empty myself even of my ego, even of my, of my image. I'm not saying don't have wisdom, but I'm saying don't be proud. Because our Lord himself, in this parable, our Lord is God. He's always God. And God emptied himself from the, from the perfection and the glory that he has in heaven and took the form of a servant and allowed himself to need to be fed. He allowed himself to need to be nurtured. When he was taken care of by St. Mary, he allowed himself this. He humbled himself so perfectly that he took on all of humanity as it is. Right? This is the glory of it. And so when you decide that you don't need that, it means that you are actually claiming yourself not to be a human. But we are human, and we do have needs. We need to find out what measure of love do you have. Do you love yourself, or do you love others? Are you emptying yourself of everything, or are you holding a certain thing back? Because only when we have this emptying can we benefit from the presence of Christ. Right? Because look at these two characters and how they both interacted to the presence of Christ. Two completely different reactions. You've got this one person who's judging. Why? Because he's full of himself. And so even in the presence of God himself, he's not moved. Right? We, we tend to think, oh, if I was in the presence of God, it would be different. If I saw a miracle, it would be different. If I saw this and this, it would be different. No, it's not. This person was in the presence of Christ. But because all he had as his objective was himself... Even while being in the presence of Christ, it didn't move him. Whereas the presence of Christ, for those who love much, causes self-knowledge. Okay, Self-knowledge is the beginning of humility, is to know ourselves. That's why St. Anthony said, he who knows himself knows God. It's deep on many, 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 many levels. There could be books and books and books written just about that statement. But being in the presence of God is self-knowledge, it's humility. And I can repent and say, I'm sorry. Repenting is a, is a change of heart, right? Repentance is not how we often see it on the saint movies of ripping our clothes and putting ash on our heads and, oh, my sin, my sin, my sin, right? No, I mean, you can do that if you want, but that's not what repentance is, okay? Repentance is simply a change of heart of saying, I was in error, 
I was doing something wrong. I realize it. I shouldn't do that. That's all it is, right? And the only way to have that is to be in the presence of love itself, to be in the presence of knowledge. So the presence of, of the Lord doesn't cause me to hate myself, right? This woman comes to Christ and she doesn't hate herself. She doesn't come to Him and be like, I am so horrible, I am disgusting, I am filthy, nobody should love me, right? This is not at all what it was. It was the opposite. She felt loved, and so she came pouring forth her tears to Him to show her love back, right? That's all she wanted to do. She wanted to return the love that she felt in His presence. Obviously, she was touched by Him, that she was so moved by Him in some kind of encounter that she just walked into someone else's house, right, and poured herself at his feet. She wasn't invited, obviously, because the Pharisee is angry that she's there. So obviously she didn't even receive an invitation. She is so moved by how Christ interacted with her that she says, I need to find him where he is and I need to give him an offering. I need to give him um, something to show the token of my love. And this is why the Catholic epistle that we read today, right, it said, nobody born of Christ can sin. And a lot of people read them like, what does that mean? Like, I'm, I'm a Christian and I still sin. And what he's saying is not that they physically cannot sin. He's just saying it, it doesn't make sense. It should be impossible for a Christian to sin. Because if I'm really touched by the love of God, if I really believe in who he is, if I really believe in what he says, sin shouldn't be optional to me. There shouldn't be a deliberation. Right? There shouldn't be like, oh, maybe in this case it's okay for me to lie because I need to. That shouldn't be an option. It shouldn't be, oh, maybe in this case it's all right for me to put this person down because he needs to know that he is a horrible person and that will help him in the future. No. Right? I won't have an option to sin because I am born of God. When I'm in the presence of God, I'm exposed to myself. This is why she was able to repent. This is how we would be able to repent. Because God is light. Right? And if God is light, then anything that's dark is immediately going to be exposed. Like we said before, if we're in a dark room and it's pitch black, I have no idea if I'm filthy or not. I have no idea if I need to shower. I have no idea if the floor is dirty. I don't know anything. We're in the dark. I can roll around in mud for all I know, and I have no idea. And I can think that that mud is water, right? I can call it different things because I can't see it. The minute you flick on the light switch, everything becomes very clear. Oh, I'm disgusting. Right? Oh, we need to clean up this place. Oh, I didn't realize this whole time. I thought it was, it was a pool of some special kind of water. It's mud. Right? I didn't know. When the light was switched on, I saw it. This is what Christ does, is He illumines. Right? God is truth. Right? God is light. And where the truth is, lies are immediately exposed. Where darkness is, it flees in the presence of light. And this is why those who come to know God, the consequence is repentance. Because suddenly, when you see the perfect car, you find out your car is messed up. You thought it was perfect, but you saw the proper one beside you, suddenly it changes. And this is why we need to approach Christ. Not the only reason, but one of many reasons why I need to approach Christ. I will think that I'm perfect unless I encounter Him. And I need to encounter Him so that I can... Um, so that I can repent of my ways and know who I am in order that I can recover my identity. Because my identity is Him. 
right? That is who, is who we are. That's why I said at the beginning, we are in His image and likeness. And so the reason why we need to be in His presence is because if I was made and molded to look like Him, then the only way to recover Him is to see Him, so that I can see how He's supposed to function because I am supposed to be in His image and likeness. In fact, in knowing God, we also know ourselves. Right? It's a two-way thing. Not only am I knowing myself do I know God, but in knowing God, I will then know myself, which is humility. Knowing ourselves means discovering the image and likeness of God. It allows us to see what is broken, and in seeing what is broken, we can repent. And in repenting, we can come back to that perfect union with Him that He willed for us before even our creation. It was God's good will, not only to make us, but to live in communion with us. That's why He made us, because He loved us. So in knowing ourselves, we know Him and can come to love Him, so that indeed we can be forgiven this measure of forgiveness, and we may be told, just like this woman, that our faith has saved us and that we live in peace. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.